you are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, you're going to hear a conversation that I had with Elisa Oras, and Elisa is another recovery coach, which is fantastic. And uh, she interviewed me last month, I think, in um, January, and she interviewed me for her YouTube channel. She's got a really kind of cool YouTube channel all about recovery things, and um, that was the first time I'd spoken to another recovery coach, um, other than the recovery coaches that I've worked with and trained. So that was really fantastic, and it was incredible how similar she and I are how similar our um, take on recovery is, how similar our recoveries were. And so that's what we talk about a lot in this podcast. We talk about the recovery process and the similarities and differences between the things that, that she and I went through, which I think is a valuable conversation. And I think it's good for people in recovery to actually hear people who have made full recovery and made it to full recovery and gone through all of the ups and downs and the things like the post-starvation hyperphagia and the feast eating that we do. All of those things we both went through. And I think that it's always validating for people in recovery to hear people who have been through it talk about those things and know that there is another side to come out to and that you will get out the other side if you trust your body and you keep going. So here is the conversation between Elisa Oras and myself. Now, as Elisa explains, she recovered without professional help, same as I did, but she also says that she recovered with a lot of help from the internet and listening to the recovery stories of other people. So the first question that I asked Elisa was to tell me, tell me her story. Here she is. So my story kind of started when I was a teenager and maybe about 15 years old or so. And uh, my, like the full blown like bulimia and orthorexia didn't start then, but then I had my first kind of the binges and the first uh, dieting I did. And I remember when I was about 15 years or so, uh, I went to uh, like a dance class with my, with my friend and uh, the teacher there, I remember like she was talking to uh, to my friend and she was uh, uh, telling my friend how to like maintain weight or how to lose weight. Uh, yeah, and uh, and she told my friend that, yeah, just uh, don't eat after six o'clock in the evening and just drink a lot of water. And my friend uh, back then, she she was on a medication for her asthma, like the asthma. And that's that's because like this is why she put on weight. But the teacher, she was like, yeah, you just need to exercise more and eat less or something. So she recommended her to kind of watch her weight or just lose weight. And I was listening to them. And uh, because of I was like a teenager and I had my body developing that time, you know, you just like your boobs are growing, your hips are growing, you feel bigger, you feel you're gaining weight. So this was the first time I was like very conscious about my body and my weight, even though I didn't have like massive body image problems or anything. But I was just very curious to uh, start dieting. 
And I did. And I did exactly what the teacher said, even though she didn't recommend this to me. And uh, and nowadays, this is called the intermittent fasting, right? Like uh, periodic fasting. And this is what I did. And I I would keep it like half a year or so because like everybody knows that your first diet it's kind of like it's easy. You lose weight very easily because you are, have a healthy body. Uh, and yeah, and I lost weight as well. And I was normal weight already. So for my body, like I didn't go into the anorexia, but just for me looking back, like for my body, it was quite a lot of weight. Uh, yeah, and of course I went to the bed, like crumbling stomach, dreaming about food, you know, in the morning, what I'm gonna eat. Uh, yeah, but I kept it up, and uh, and one time I even like fainted uh, when I was with my friends. And looking back, I know this was because I was like like under eating, and uh, yeah. But during daytime, I didn't restrict anything. And then half a year later, I had my first binge. I had my first binge, uh, and I was just like, I can't do it. And uh, yeah, but after the binge, I was freaked out. What's happening? This is my, I need to have more willpower. And, but of course, from the next day, I just couldn't restrict anymore. Like my body started to rebel against the restriction. And I just, I gained all the weight back. So this was the start of it all. And after maybe next five years or so, I had the kind of like, like problems with overeating here and there. Uh, I started to diet more. I did some like water fasting. Uh, I thought I'm emotional eater <laughs> because I had symptoms. And then when I was about uh, like 20 years old or something, I had a stressful time in my life because I broke up with my boyfriend back then and my heart was broken. Uh, and I just, I was so stressed out and I had like very like depression. And because of that, uh, I think I developed uh, hormonal issues and I had acne, my hair was falling out and digestive issues. And, uh, and of course, like I went to internet, like how can I heal myself? And I found that uh, like how to change your diet to more healthy, you know, foods, how to clean yourself from inside out. And at first, like, of course, like eat healthy, you know, like it doesn't sound like you are starving yourself, you know. And I thought genuinely I'm doing the best thing for my health to take care of my health. And uh, at first, of course, I... I saw the improvements in my skin, in my energy, like blah, blah, blah. But over time, I got like very restrictive with this. And uh, and again, my binges got worse and worse and worse. And one, uh, one time when I was again, like doing my like raw food diet or whatever, then uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I went to the shop and I bought all the muffins, all the food I have been restricting. And uh, and I had a massive, massive binge. And uh, this kind of binge, it's not like, it's not about self-control. It's not about, you know, like, like, oh, just try to eat normally. Like, don't starve yourself, but just eat normally. Like, you can't stop this kind of binge. Like, what this is like your animal brain takes over. And uh, and after that, I felt so sick and I didn't know what to do. And I went to a toilet and I vomited. And this was the first time I was like, oh my God, this is what the bulimics do. And I was still in denial. No, this is not me. I just felt sick. Tomorrow I'm going to be good again. 
So this is how it started, the, all the orthorexia and bulimia, and over the years it just like went worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I imagine that after, after that one time you, you probably restricted a little bit more after um, eating all that food, and then that led to another binge, and then you freak out again, so you vomit, and before you know it you're in a behavioral cycle. Yeah, of course. And uh, and also I was into this brainwash, you know, that uh, like the the junk food or the, you know, the chocolate and cookies, like they are just too delicious, like too addictive. And this is why you had the binge, like you're just addicted. Like those food has those like chemicals, like MSG, like stuff like that. So I truly believe that, that yeah, like I'm just addicted to food, that I am like, I have the emotional response to those foods. Like I just trying to feel, feel some void inside of me or something. And, uh, and I thought that actually to cure myself from the binges or the bulimia, I have to eat healthy because uh, I'm not binging because of I'm restricting because I wasn't aware of that. I'm binging because I have a problem with, you know, food. Yes. Like, yes. So many people say exactly and think exactly the same things because that's what, well, guess what? That's what people are told that these, these foods are addicted, addictive and you're addicted to them. So how did you sort that out in your head? How did you get over that, that, that way of thinking in your head? Yeah, so, like, I was very desperate, like, from the start of my, you know, like, the bulimia and everything, I wanted to find the answer, I wanted to recover, I never thought that, oh, I'm just uh, helping myself to maintain my weight or something, like, I wanted to truly, like, heal myself, but I thought healing will come with uh, raw food and healthy eating, so I was very, like, brainwashed, I had the kind of, like, the tunnel vision, like, this is the answer, I just need to stick with this, you know, like, long enough, so my taste parts will change, <laughs> you know, all of that bullshit, uh, yeah, but as I was like so desperate to find answer, I was also like searching from the internet, like how, or just like whatever I could find. I was reading about the bulimia, the binges, and everything. And uh, and one time I uh, I stumbled upon this particular ebook, and uh, and the ebook was talking about the intuitive eating. And this woman, she was. Uh, she had been recovered from anorexia and bulimia through intuitive eating and uh, particularly like letting go all rules, eating the processed food, junk food, like whatever you want, like listening to your body and understanding that, yeah, when you have been restricting all those foods, this is exactly what you're going to crave and this is exactly what you have to eat because like your body craves them for a reason like you have to fully like give yourself the unconditional permission to eat and uh, and first time I read that book I was in the denial I was like she's crazy to recommend junk food like she this is so unhealthy I was in the brainwash and I didn't do it and fast forward one year I was still having my bulimia and I stumbled on the book again and I read it again, even not knowing I had read it already. And then in the middle of it, I was like, oh, I have read that book. It's so familiar. But the difference is that that time I was like open. I was like, wow, this actually makes sense. I'm like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to say goodbye to the raw food, 
to my uh, like what I was doing because actually I was teaching other people like raw food in Estonia. Like me and my friend, we had this like like company. We gave classes. Uh, we were even on the. We are so similar. I was a personal trainer helping people lose weight. <laughs> yeah, because it was part of my identity. I thought this is my passion. This is like who I am. Like forever, I have it figured out who I am. And then I had to face the fact that Elisa, you have to say goodbye to this kind of world and jump into the unknowingness of. I have no idea who I am. I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do. You know, three months from now. But I was like, this is like just painful. I have to do it. There is like, I just have to do it. So I was like, goodbye, all of this raw food world and everything. And I just went into recovery. Yeah. And the rest is history. Yeah, and of course, when I started my recovery, I didn't know about, you know, the extreme hunger. I didn't know about the exercising. Actually, uh, when I started my recovery, I uh, I stopped purging, you know, like vomiting straight from day one. But I had no idea that the bulimia athletica is also uh, eating disorder, you know, like purging through exercise. And even through my years, I have been exercising regularly, you know, like running, doing all this kind of stuff. But when I started my recovery without purging and letting go of restriction, eating like whatever I want, however much I want, then uh, I started to get very obsessed with exercise. And I was running to the gym one hour, in the gym an hour, I had personal trainer running back, burning thousand calories. And I thought like, okay, okay, <laughs> like looking back now, like how couldn't I, I see it, right? How couldn't I see it? Like, of course, it's just so obvious, but I couldn't see it. I was so in denial, just as somebody is in, in denial that they have orthorexia when they're like trying to eat healthy. healthy. You know? Yes. Yeah. I was totally delusional, but I had problem with overexercising. And only later I learned that, oh my God, this is part of my eating disorder. I have to freaking quit this and go fully in. I was like quasi-recovery. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I imagine that when you allowed yourself to start eating the quote-unquote junk food, um, you probably ate a lot of it for a while. And then, like for most of us, when your body was ready, it slowed down and it started to level itself out. And that's why I think that people who can talk about this and have been through it are so important because when people are in that stage, it feels like it's never going to end. It feels like you are going to eat that volume of food forever and ever and ever. And then they freak out and say, I have to restrict because this is obviously wrong. I'm obviously a broken person whose body's just going to binge eat into oblivion and they never get to the other side where you got to. Yeah, and uh, I remember thinking that even in recovery, I was thinking like, like they talk about the intuitive eating, you know, like eating when hungry, stopping when full. I was like, what does it mean? Like, I don't remember, I don't even remember what does it mean to have normal hunger cues because from when I was uh, like a teenager already, I had the emotional eating, you know, like symptoms, uh, restricting eating until I was like overfull and everything. So I had completely forgot about like what it feels to eat normally. But uh, you don't have to know it. It will just happen in time. It, and does, it, it does happen in time. And 
Um, I don't know if you if you were similar to me, but I found that so the first sort of stage was quite straightforward, as in I was just shoveling food in my face for the whole time, and that was kind of quite straightforward. And then as my body moved into more new a place of more nutrition and rehabilitation, that's when it kind of got a little bit more confusing because some days I'd be ravenously hungry and some days my my hunger would feel more normal and I'd have hunger cues. And then some days I wouldn't have hunger cues and I'd just have mental hunger and it was all up and down. And I think then that stage seemed quite long and confusing to me. And then it started to just even out and I wasn't thinking about food, the mental hunger went and things started to get easier. But I think that it's because it, that process differs for all of us and there are the process itself changes from as our bodies get better it can be a really difficult time to ma- navigate and i often think more towards the end i sort of had to relearn how to live in a human body actually just how to f- actually feed myself because my satiation cl- cues were off and my hunger cues were off and after i got through that initial period of just shoveling food in my face for days and days and months and months on end it was then a process of actually learning how to be in a human body I think that was really interesting and scary yeah and I think for me uh, like just uh, what I said that I had to say goodbye to kind of my identity or who I was so I had to say goodbye to that that part of me and just be like I don't know where I'm going but I know it has to be better than this <laughs> you know and be willing to change all of my beliefs uh, you know about food question everything I have known uh, yeah so this part of the change of my like personality or stuff or what I thought was part of my personality like this was like very hard and just kind of socially uh, admitting to other people who knew me like a raw food girl you know I published a recipe book in Estonia with my friend and everything uh, like this was also I had to like publicly say to people like I was wrong yes. you know and yeah. I, we're so similar like that I was just the same I but but different I was a personal trainer working in a gym and specializing in weight loss helping people lose weight because and people came to me because I was underweight myself so they were like well she must know so so people paid me lots of money to Mm -hmm. what now I can look back and say I was basically being paid to help other people suppress their body weight via diet and exercise which is horrific with what I know now I'm still horrified that I did that Um, and I made a living out of it and just just like you you published a book and and Mm -hmm. it's having to say I never did it but I, I, because I didn't have my clients' contact information. But years later, I just wanted to write to them all and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. All the stuff I told you about restriction and exercise, just forget it all because it won't make you happy. And it will only, you know, it's suppressing your body weight and it's not good for you. It's, it's really difficult when I think it can be an obstacle for people when, when we've created our identities around eating disordered stuff that can be one of the obstacles to recovery to just say yep I was wrong everybody don't listen to me (laughs) like swallow your pride (laughs) yeah it's an ego thing for sure isn't it um I I know that that's a big stickling point for some people especially I think 
the vegan identity gets difficult as well because there's such a culture around that as well and um, a community around it. And people can really feel that they're in that and they're part of that vegan community. And then when they realize, oh, I probably can't do this and recover, there's that part of, but I want to stay into this community. Um, and I have friends here, which is difficult. Yeah, yeah. And the vegan part, definitely. Like, uh, like this is what, like, I totally get it, right? But, uh, like, why it has to be all or nothing kind of mindset. Mm. Like, you can help the animals in all sorts of different ways, mm. right? And, uh, and if you're going to choose to eat, like, less meat or whatever, then why it has to be, you know, like, 100%. And especially like people who are in eating disorder recovery, like who you are helping when you have an eating disorder. Like we have to put like ourselves first, even first from the animals. Yeah. Like you have to put yourself first. Yeah. And I like what you said there about why does it have to be 100%? Because it doesn't. Do something 70%, 60%, 50%. <laughs> yeah, because like, be it's so funny that uh, like when people, like let's say they promote veganism and they say, yeah, just start from like uh, Meatless Monday, you know, or start by like doing a little bit. Okay, I do it, but maybe I stop here, you right. know. Why I have to go further? And then when they see that you won't go further, suddenly you are a terrible person, Yes, you know. Why it has to be like, like, okay, when are you under percent? When I'm waiting, <laughs> you know, like why it has to go there. Maybe this is where I stop. I feel better. I'm contributing to the issue. Yeah. But like for me, especially like when a person has an eating disorder, who knows what other issues they have or then, uh, yeah, like the all or nothing mindset behind it. Yeah. I think that's a really great way of putting that as well. That, and that's one of the attractivenesses of that any sort of restrictive diet for a person with a restrictive eating disorder. And um, I know that I had a stint at being vegan. And like you said, it's suddenly all in, 100%, can't eat any animal product going, you know, from one day to the next, uh, which really does play into that, that um, black and white thinking mindset that develops when we have an eating disorder. Do you find that because of your your story, bulimia, orthorexia, predominantly, and restriction, of course, exercise as well, binging, all of those things, do you find that people come to you for coaching or in a, a similar to you, have similar sort of um, struggles? Yeah, uh, definitely. But actually, I have people even with like anorexia and that. Mm. Uh, and uh, like all sorts of eating other issues. So, and what I have found uh, through my work is that, yes, there are some differences in terms of like recovery or from person to person, like what works specifically. Uh, but eating other recovery, like generally it is so similar yeah. to all types yeah. of eating disorder. One of the questions actually that springs to mind is, wh why do you think that you didn't have anorexia? Because it sounds to me like anorexia. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. So maybe you can tell me. I think you that can. maybe because if a lot of people assume that if they didn't get to a really, really low weight, then mm -hmm. that's not anorexia. Um, but really, you started restricting food and you did lose weight. 
and, yeah. and got into so, restriction. Yeah, so do you mean like when I was a teenager and I lost weight and then I had my first binge, right? Because later when I had bulimia, like I was totally like normal weight as I am right now, even maybe heavier. Right. No, I think you can have anorexia at any weight, at yeah. any weight, sorry. And um, yeah. if, if you are underweight is under the weight that your body would naturally be at. So if you're underweight and if you are underweight and you have that, then... Mm-hmm. Um, that anorexia response, which is to continue to eat less and to move more and all of those things. I think that that's, that's anorexia. And most people, even those of us with more straight anorexia, not the necessarily typical binge purge, develop mm. some sort of binge purge cycle. So mine was, was binge mm-hmm. and then purging via exercise and restriction. So mm-hmm. I think that it's all just the same thing. Yeah, really. And uh, like, <laughs> like the... I don't know what's wrong with the medical community or something is that like they won't diagnose you unless you are under the BMI like thing. So I'm sure if I would have gone there, maybe I had the symptoms, but because I wasn't quite there, maybe yeah. I know. Like I agree that even an overweight person can have anorexia. If they yeah. are under the weight, if they're suppressing their body weight and under the weight that they should be for their body and they have the signs, mental signs and symptoms of anorexia, then that's anorexia. But yes, you are absolutely right. It's difficult to yeah. convince the medical community of that. However, not all of them. And there are plenty of, yeah. of um, eating disorder therapists um, and dietitians that are, are getting that and um, really understand that you can be underweight at any size and therefore you can have anorexia at any size. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I think that it's also um, people get caught up between that difference. Well, I don't have anorexia because, well, first of all, I'm a normal weight, but then also I don't straight out restrict. And it's like, no, people with anorexia don't necessarily not eat anything. Most of us eat, but in a very regimented and small and safe food way. And we eat enough just to keep our bodies alive, but not to, to keep ourselves, get ourselves out of that anorexia mental state and actually get better. So I think that, um, and I think it's all the same thing most of the time. It's all to do with restriction, yeah. isn't it? And then having that genetic response to energy deficit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like, I haven't met anybody who had eating disorder and they're not restricting, right? No. no. Like, yeah, it just comes with it. And uh, like, do you believe you can have an eating disorder when you're not restricting? I think if you are if you are over exercising, or but it's still kind of restriction, it's still, right? <laughs> but that's still weight suppression. So yeah. I don't think that you can. Ha- if you're suppressing your body weight and you have the genetics for an eating disorder. I think it's really likely you're going to have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So I think that we can suppress our body weights and we are taught to suppress our body weights by various different means, dietary restriction and usually overexercise being the main thing. But um, I think that if a person is suppressing their body weight to the point where they go into energy deficits and that eating disorder genetics are sparked, then that's that's as complicated as it needs to be. They don't need to necessarily be down to a stupid low BMI or anything like that. Usually the, yeah. mental, usually the mental discomfort is there. And it really makes me so 
upset for people who do have that and are in larger bodies because they have all this mental discomfort and then they go to a doctor and are told to lose weight or to do even more restriction and body weight suppression, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. At least those of us that are very low weight will go to the doctor and the doctor will say, yeah, you should eat more. Sometimes, not all the time, not all of my doctors have had to me. But, you know, imagine going and the doctor says, yeah, keep on restricting and over-exercising, making it worse. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and many people think they're not even sick enough because they're like a healthy weight. Like they don't understand that the eating disorder is not the, about the weight. No. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. your behaviors and thoughts and, and everything else. Do you, do you have many clients that are in that boat that are sort of, oh, I don't know if I'm sick enough or not? sort of tripped up by the fact that their weight is not super low yeah like definitely some clients or let's say uh, like some people restore their weight and they think they're in a like you know like the healthy bmi range or whatever and then they feel that they don't have the like the excuse to eat so much anymore that's the so difficult stage isn't it eating changes yeah but actually no the non-restriction is for the rest of your life Not i'm really only glad weight. that you said that because i've got some clients <laughs> hello guys that i keep on selling her to and they're still like are you sure are you sure it's still okay yeah. for me to eat yes <laughs> for the rest of your life eat whatever whenever however much and this is what i had when i had the recovery when i went fully into recovery and the same mindset i have even today and i'm gonna keep up with this mindset but of course it's different because in recovery i ate so much and yes but now yeah i, I eat like more normally you yes, know but that, still have the same mindset and, and so that's the whole mind- point of eating without restriction is it changes throughout recovery what that looks like but you're still not restricting just what your body asks for normalizes whatever we call normal for your body to maintain. And so I think that people get scared because if you say eat without restriction, that means you're saying you've got to eat 20 cheeseburgers a day for the rest of your life. Otherwise, yeah. you're not in recovery. And it's like, no, you eat without restriction means eating what your body's asking for. And initially, mm-hmm. that's going to be a shitload of food. But as your body gets better it will just normalize out and it's yeah. it's great <laughs> and yeah. i i often when i look back as to how much i ate in recovery it blows my mind i don't feel that i would physically be able to do that now yeah, me too <laughs> because i just don't, i don't know how i did it i mean i would sit there and eat a whole jar of peanut butter in one go after having eaten dinner and dessert and a load of food and I would just I would just power through all this food and now I just have no desire or need or even know if I have the ability to eat like that which yeah. is just fascinating about the human body don't you think that when it needs to it just develops this capacity to devour so much food it's fascinating yeah. Yeah, and you have like so much craving and desire and you dream about this food. But now, like when you're full, you completely forget about it. Yes. Or the food can still be there, but it's just like you don't care. You don't yeah. care it's there. Yeah. Because you always have it. And um, yeah, so it's so different. Because I remember thinking that like, how can I not want it? <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> exactly. And it's not like it stops being good, but it's good and i don't know and then it's kind of like you know you forget about it you're yeah. like, i'm full and satisfied I'm, I'm full and you're talking to people or doing something else and 
Um, and that's still fascinating to me too, from the, the, when, when my, that my brain can do that after so long just being so obsessed with food. And I would never, when I was in recovery, I would never have believed anyone that told me, you know, like one day you'll have a cheesecake in the fridge and you'll just eat it when you want it and it won't like scream at you from the fridge all day long and, and be calling to you all day long. I would have never believed someone because I just thought that was how my brain worked. Turns yeah. out that's just how my brain worked when it was in malnutrition. Yeah, yeah. And now thinking back and also thinking like how my hunger, everything normalized, normalized. I have so much respect for my body and so much trust in my body because I followed my body and I did exactly what my body wanted. And now I'm never afraid of my body's signals mm. because I went fully in. And uh, like, for example, maybe when somebody's recovering through the traditional treatment, when they have to follow a meal plan, and then they said that, no, you shouldn't gain any more weight, so the meal plan is reduced, I would still be so freaking scared of my hunger and my body right. like gaining weight anytime. But now I feel I'm like bulletproof to any eating disorder because I went through it on my own. And I had to kind of like, I had to develop this trust in my body. And now I never have those eating disorder thoughts or fears yeah. because I knew exactly what I did. And I convinced myself that this is how it works. And I just know it, you know, like when you learn something on your own and now it's just like no second guessing, guessing. I just know how it works. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And what we're talking about, it sounds so, um, well, it just sounds so duh, doesn't it? It sounds so common sense that, oh, you should trust this body that's actually been designed to know how to survive and eat food. But you I should didn't. Trust it. I know, but we don't. Nobody does. 99% of the population don't trust their bodies. Um, yeah. This is part the fact of the brainwash. Yes. It's the brain you know like you have to control your body you have to uh, count your calories because your body or you don't know otherwise you're just gonna binge out because the food is so delicious and so addicting so we are taught this brainwash that you have to control your body you have to control your appetite you have to make the decision you know what's good what's bad you have to like overthink it you have to analyze, you have to have like a meal plan, support, people telling you what to eat, when, like you can't do it on your own. Uh, yeah, like I was so far from that. But now, of course, it seems like it's so obvious, but it wasn't then. No, I know. Yeah. I know. And um, yeah, I've been called radical for saying people should just recover by eating tons of food and trusting their body. Um, but it's really just common sense. It is. is quite scary that, um, that common sense is not used in the field of eating disorders. And one thing that I love about what I do as a recovery coach, which I'm pretty sure you're going to say is the same thing, is that I'm never telling anybody to do anything that they don't already know or kind of deep down mm -hmm. want to do. I'm just mm -hmm. giving them permission to eat all the food and, and helping them get there. I'm never telling anyone to do something that feels... Yeah. The, the, you know, of course, the eating disorder doesn't want to do it, but there's always a part of them that's like, yeah, I just want to eat all the cake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so many people who I help, they have searched years <laughs> into their eating disorder. Like they can write like a doctor's paper <laughs> yes. in their eating disorder. They are so smart. They know stuff. They know all the books, the channels, the whatever. Uh, but 
like oftentimes they just need the reassurance, like constant reassurance and somebody to tell them like, yes. Oh, yeah, it's scary as fuck. It really is. I mean, it feels, in, it does feel, you, there was always a part of me that just felt like, oh my God, I just want to eat. But it was still scary. So you do need the, I think the support aspect is really important because it's, it's really scary. And um, it's made scarier though by not being supported by traditional treatment. It's made scarier that, I mean, I felt like I was quite lucky because I never went through traditional treatment. I'd never read a book or a blog or anything on anorexia before I actually started just eating. And I think that for a lot of people that have been through traditional treatment and they've been given a meal plan and told, yes, you can't, you have to eat this way and told if you binge, that's really bad. So don't do that. It's mm -hmm. not just the eating disorder that they're grappling with. They're grappling with what they've been told by traditional treatment, which mm -hmm. has a lot more power because you consider those people to be an authority. And of course, yeah. the doctor should know better than, than you do. So then you believe well, the doctor said that I have to eat this way to recover, so maybe I should, despite the fact my body's telling me something else. My body's telling me it wants a lot more food than that. Um, I've also known a lot of people who have been in treatment and requested more food and been told that they can't have it because that would be binging, which makes me want to cry and punch someone in the face. Yeah, and for example, like, uh, like I have one woman who I'm helping currently, and uh, and she had like also such a like the compulsion or the anxiety towards like exercising, it wasn't healthy for her, even though she was like just walking, right? Yeah. But it was just kind of like the anxiety and the habit from the eating disorder. And uh, and she, she went to a doctor with her husband and the doctor told her like husband and them that, yeah, like it's healthy for her to exercise. And now like she also started to think I should exercise. It's healthy. Like being so this is sedentary is so unhealthy. And like she's recovering from 20 years of anorexia and eating disorder and exercise was part of her eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And the doctor, I don't think even the doctor knew, but it's just kind of like, like it's so different, right? It's it so different. It like the person's so condition, physical, mental condition, like exercising or eating healthy, it doesn't apply to everybody. No, it's For like some the rules are reversed. Very healthy. The, the usual advice has to be reversed if you have an eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the, the biggest problems is, is um, the people who don't think that they're sick enough for anything i know that there's going to be people listening to this right now that are thinking yeah but i'm not sick enough they're not talking about me yeah and it's like no we're talking about you by the way <laughs> yeah i wasn't even underweight you know but i had problem with exercise and also if you just think about that yeah maybe walking technically doesn't burn a lot of calories but if it's feeding your eating disorder mindset the guilt if you yes. don't do it, the anxiety the if you compulsion. don't do it, even just because of the mindset you have towards exercise, even just because of that, you need a freaking break. Yes, yes, it's the compulsive aspect because people will always argue, yeah, but I only kind of do like a short walk and it's like, well, if you have to do it every morning at the same time, otherwise you can't eat for the rest of the day, it's a problem, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So you have a pretty rocking YouTube channel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I'll link to that in 
the um, show notes to this episode. But what led to you setting up a YouTube channel? What inspired uh, so, that? So uh, when I did my recovery, like even in my like raw food, when I was interested in that, I started to like make videos like slowly. I was blogging about it. But when I started my recovery uh, and I recovered on my own, I did a lot of research. I got very like into the recovery and the information I found. And I wrote some articles uh, and bare, like just mainly to help myself mm-hmm. to like, because I always like writing. And when I write something and research about something I almost uh, like teach myself yes. more yes. so uh, and doing the YouTube videos maybe first I did some you know vlog or a little bit like recipe or something but over time I started to talk about more the recovery and what I have been through and what I found out and everything uh, and this helped me to recover myself more because I had so much information uh, and it was part of my life you know the recovery it's a big thing uh, and I just and I had all the blogging experience and stuff, so it just felt so natural to share it. And uh, then I wasn't, I didn't have even the intention to become like recovery coach or anything. I was just, it's just a part of the phase in my life or something. But over time, people started to like ask me questions, ask me about the coaching or consultation. So this is like slowly uh, how it began. And uh, and yeah, and now. I do it because I have the passion for it and people get so much help with this. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the best payment when I hear somebody gets help from my videos yes. and it's just like, it's never ending like that. It feeds me, you know, my, my heart and soul. So this is why I do it. Yeah. 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 We are very similar. I got into recovery mm-hmm. coaching exactly the same way, not through videos, more like, more through my blog, um, yeah. and I was just happy and I still would be happy just writing. I just wrote for me. I really did write for me. Um, and I love to write and that's how I sort things out in my own head a lot of the time. And then yeah. it was kind of, I just still remember like, I, cause I wrote, started writing for years and I didn't really, I've never promoted my blog or anything like that. And I always just figured that my mom would be the only person reading it and and then I a couple of years later I kind of looked for the first time on Google statistics analytics and I was just like shit people are actually reading this (laughs) and it made me feel really oh god I better start actually writing better and be responsible for myself (laughs) and I also decided you know I was like oh I better swear less but that didn't that didn't happen (laughs) yeah never mind Well, that was one of those conversations that I actually forgot that I was doing a podcast and it just felt like I was having a chat with a friend. So that's what you got today. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to link to uh, all of Eliza's stuff in the show notes. As I said, she's got a YouTube channel and uh, I think she's written a book as well. Um, So I'll link to all of those things and um, I reckon I'll have her on again. I liked her. I like talking to her. So... I'll see if I'm. I'll see if I can get her back on in a couple of months' time. Maybe we can do a question answer, and I'll get you guys to send in questions, and then the two of us can kind of debate what we'd say, what we'd answer to those questions. I have a feeling that we're we're going to be quite similar, but you never know. You never know. Thanks for listening, guys. If you want to contact me, then you can get me via my website. My website is tabithafra.com. Thanks for listening. Cheers, and until next time, cheerio.